is, I think. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Ah, we can see you. Look at that. That's amazing. And you are in, you're in the basement of your house. And it's <laughs> midnight. Of, yeah. <laughs> that is great. How did it go with the kids? Ah, it was wonderful. Very exciting. Very good. good. What did you teach them? I taught them uh, greeting words in Hebrew. Uh, we recited the uh, Shema together, and I translated what that means. And they wanted to know what it's like growing up in Jerusalem, living in Galilee. It was fun. Excellent, excellent. Can you see me? You can see the. Uh, thank God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I thought we would get a little further into this before we'd start that Boaz, but. <laughs> I, Just I remember, I'm the one asking the questions here, all right? I know. I think I can see your hand, but I cannot see all of you. Yeah, well, that's good. So <laughs> it is uh, it's Sunday evening here, 5 o'clock, and um, uh, there we go. He's going to adjust the camera. Yes. Now right. you can see. Well, maybe. How's yeah, that? Yeah, this is good. Yeah, Great. all right. Yeah. Much better view, right? Yes, I, I love your red uh, coat. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so I, I think I mentioned to you already the way we're going to do this tonight. You were supposed to be here, obviously, but understand the travel arrangements uh, didn't allow us to, uh, to do that. But um, a number of the folks here have know you. They've been to Israel. You've toured them around. Uh, and obviously I have a friendship with you that's, wow, about, I would guess, close to 15 years now. And, but, uh, yeah, some folks don't, don't know you. So the first set of questions, just a little bit about yourself and um, uh, what you do, and then we'll get into, we'll get into to some of the others. So why don't you just introduce yourself to the folks here, um, how long you've been doing, you know, what, what you're doing, married, kids, uh, you know, those kind of things. Okay, so uh, for those of you who do not know, my name is Boaz Shalgi. Shalgi, believe it or not, means snow, even though it hardly ever snows in Israel. It's a desert climate, but uh, that is the name that my ancestors brought with them uh, from far away seven generations ago when they came to Israel, and so that's, that's my name. Born and raised in uh, Jerusalem, um, spent a few years in Nigeria, Africa with my family. That was due to the uh, post-traumatic stress disorder that my father had after the uh, Yom Kippur War in which he participated in 1973. After a few years, we came back to uh, Jerusalem. After my graduation, I joined the uh, military service like most Israelis uh, do for three years. And after that, I was on the reserves for many more years. I was discharged when I was 40. Today, I'm 54. I am married to Maggie, who is originally from Sweden. And we have three children. My oldest is Danielle, my daughter, and she got married two weeks ago. So congrats again, Danielle, my daughter. And my two boys are Itamar, who is 24, and my youngest, Elijah, who is 20, and he's now in the army in the same unit that I serve. 
Also, about 12 years ago, we moved from Jerusalem to Galilee, and we live in a small and nice community in the Upper Galilee, uh, very close to Caesarea Philippi, close to the old city of Dan, close to the old city of Hazor, and so many biblical places that you are familiar with. For me, it's a 10-minute drive. Mm. So that's me in a nutshell. Wow, that's great. Uh, so you, you do, you, you tour guide, right? You started doing that. Tell us a little bit about, you obviously own your own company now, but you started as a guide. How did you get into that? Um, and why do you do it? Always, always had love and passion for the text, for the Bible. Always, since I remember myself, that was my, my big love. And I always thank God for doing that because at where I'm at today, I say, bless God that you gave me the passion to know you better more than any other thing that I could have learned in school. So that was with me always. And when I was 25, it was my mother who was a travel agent who encouraged me to do that. She said, Buzz, you always loved history and Bible so much. Why won't you go to university and study all that? And on top of that, you also get the license to start guiding people in Israel. So I went to university just because I loved it. But then after that, I figured if I can do something for a living, uh, which is something I enjoy doing every day, then that's a blessing. And so I did that for many years. And 12 years ago, I started my own company called EDI Travel, uh, which is the initials of my kids, Elijah, Daniel, and Itamar. That's great. And that's how I met you, right? So I had, uh, I think I've told them the story here, but we went, had a really bad tour guide. And so anybody after him would have been good. And we got you. And, I, I was going to say, once you know me, everyone looks bad. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, was, uh, he was a guy who was, uh, you know, who, who was a tour guide. That's what he did. And obviously he's yeah. guiding Christians. And he was pretty hostile to the gospel, to the New Testament. And, and whenever, whenever I got you as a guy, the two things that jumped out at me right, right out of the gate. One was, it was evident that you, you had respect for, you know, for the text. And then you spoke about the New Testament. You spoke about even the miracles of Jesus as if these were historical facts, as if these were things that were happening. And so that obviously impressed me as well. And... and uh, and he is a, a pretty good tour guide, if, even though I, I have to uh, uh, probably listen to him crow about that comment later. But it was good, and you have been a, you've, been, you've been great to all the folks that, that come over there. Obviously, people pay a lot of money in order to get to, to Israel, and it's a, it is a significant experience for them to go. And so they obviously don't want to come over there and do that and have somebody tear down you know, what they believe. Uh, and, and then I surely don't want, uh, want, want somebody doing that to my sheep either. So um, you've, been, you've been guiding. COVID has come, and you haven't been guiding a lot. Can you give us a, a thumbnail about how that has affected uh, tourism over there, and is it coming back now, and, and how has it affected okay, you? Okay, so, so COVID came uh, officially to Israel um, on February of 2020, but in the beginning of that, they still allowed groups into Israel. So I had a group from Texas in March. And when I escorted them to the airport, that's when Israel closed the skies of Israel. 
So my group was actually the last one that was here for about three years. And so, yeah, our business crashed because, you know, unlike other things that, you know, suffered 20%, 30%, you know, of their income, tourism just went from 100 to zero in one day and lasted for two years. And actually, it's more than that. It's two and a half years because even now, uh, when COVID is not over, but we know how to deal with it and we know how to, to live along COVID, um, it is still not um, the volume that we were used to. Uh, so if I had about 45 or so groups every year coming through my company, uh, 2022 is going to end with about seven. So it's not even close. Uh, we are getting more reservations for next year. I think that now when Americans feel a lot more comfortable because there's zero restrictions about coming to Israel now, you don't have to have a COVID test. You don't have to have any, any vaccinations if you, if you chose not to. So truly, as for today, you just get your passport, get on the plane and come to Israel. And so I think that... Thank to that, we get more bookings for next year, but it's been very tough. Yeah. Well, I've obviously prayed for you that that would help. I know that's your, your livelihood, and we have a, a group coming in November, and yeah. so we're looking forward to, uh, to being there. So one final question about tourism. Can you think of what is the, the most memorable or most bizarre story uh, that you've had as a guide? What... What, if someone would ask you what, what happened that you have not forgotten as a, as a tour guide? I, as, as I said to myself many times, when I retire, I'm going to write a book. And this <laughs> book is going to be a bestseller about <laughs> what I've had with people over the last 30 years, 30 years so far. Um, I would say, and I will really make it short because that was a long story. I don't know if you ever heard of what is known as the Jerusalem syndrome. It's a syndrome that's known in the uh, medicinal literature. It's something that only happens in Israel and mostly in Jerusalem when people that were perfectly normal until they came to Israel, they come here and they're so heavily inspired emotionally that they just sometimes they go nuts. And they think that they're Jesus. They think that they're King David. They walk in the streets shouting that they're, you know, the Messiah, things like that. And it's only happening here. And I always heard about it, but I never had anyone like that until one day there was someone like that in my group. And he just got crazy. He got violent. They had to keep him, you know, under shots and get him to the hospital because he would just, you know, get so violent with everyone around him. And he kept screaming, Jesus, Jesus. And, and I mean, that was crazy. Finally, uh, what happened, we had to continue the tour. And he was hospitalized in Galilee for three weeks before his family was able to somehow bring the money together to fly him back to the States in a private airplane while he's sleeping because no airlines wanted to take the chances of having this thing, I say thing, on, you know, on the plane. So that was very weird. Yes. As for what people ask me, the two things that I really love, you know, when I think about it, is that one time a lady asked me, 
So Boaz, was Jesus Armenian or Greek Orthodox? <laughs> and I said, he was Jewish. And she goes, come on, Boaz. I know that you tell jokes all the time, but this is not funny. I said, that's not a joke. But even better than that is one person who once asked me on my tour, Boaz, is the moon we see in Israel same moon we see back in America? And I did not know how to respond to that question. So I said yes. And, and neither one of those were, were on a Timberlake tour, right? Oh, uh, no. Yeah. Okay. All right. Timberlake. Yeah. Just, just making, making sure. So, yeah, but if the guy was Jesus, you know, he wouldn't have needed a private airplane to get back, right? I mean, he could have just zapped know, himself back. All right. But he didn't know that, yeah. <laughs> so you see a lot, obviously, um, yeah. and you're able to pick and choose. I know you're, you know, picky in a good way. You discriminate in a, in a, in a, in a good way about who you lead uh, yeah. in groups. And some of the groups that, uh, that, you, that you, you've told me stories about where you've led them before, and people that have been dishonoring of the text or of Israel or of Jesus or others, you just don't guide them again. Yes? That, that is very true. I think that, you know, both for me and for the people who come to Israel, this is a spiritual experience. I always said, doing what I do, you cannot really do if you don't believe in what you do. And that is why Pastor... Uh, you had the experience with the guy before me because I'm assuming he did that because that was his job and that was his income so it was eight to five thing and then he goes home and it is what it is but to me I said if a day comes when I feel that I'm tired physically or mentally with doing this I will stop right away because I don't think it's fair for people that flew 7,000 miles away to come to Israel, paid their best money to do that, and then to not have someone who's very enthusiastic about God, about the land, about the prophecies, about Jesus, and about everything else. It's just not fair. But it also goes the other way around. When people come here, I expect them to also respect me and what I say and what I teach because I'm basically spending my entire life investigating the Bible, so I want my audience to be part of that. Uh, that's a great, uh, great segue. So, you uh, moving from tourism to more spiritual things. You, you're seventh generation. Your family's been in the land for seven generations. Yeah. So, um, you grew up uh, uh, Orthodox Jew, conservative Jew, regular Jew. Give us some background of you know just spiritually. You know, uh, one of the uh, next times that we will do this together, we may dedicate the entire meeting to only understand who is a Jew. And it's just fascinating to, 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 to learn about that because there's the classic groups in Judaism, Orthodox, Conservative, Reformed, and, and others. But when you go ask people, are you Jewish? You get all kinds of answers. Sometimes people say, yes, I'm Jewish. Why are you Jewish? Because I decided so. <laughs> well, it doesn't really work like that, but that's the answer. Or why are you Jewish? Because my dad is Jewish. Well, if you know better, you'll know that the faith only goes with the mother in Judaism. So if my father is Jewish, my mother is not, I'm not Jewish. 
So like I said, this is a fascinating thing by itself. Uh, as for your question, I am a conservative Jew. A conservative Jew <clears throat> is basically an orthodox Jew that keeps all the rules of Judaism, only that we also give ourselves liberty to advance with time. So I don't have any problem driving a car or flying an airplane or having a smartphone and things that very orthodox Jews will not have because they say we have to live the way they did three, 4,000 years ago. And I don't think we need to do that because we're in the year 2022 and we don't have to live like, you know, Abraham did because things have moved ahead and technologies is more advanced and you know uh but as far as the text is concerned we're we're similar i'm not making any compromise about the bible that's great so the next question how has your vocation as a tour guide leading christians uh obviously you mentioned going to university uh and even recently you, you told me that you would taken additional university classes on christianity how has your, your, your tourism and, and having to uh, interact with the New Testament, how's that affected your view of, of Jesus? First of all, speaking about my courses, I had another one today between 8 and 9.30 Israel time, and I have it uh, twice a week uh, for a long, long time now. And what we do is we really you know, dive into uh, the, uh, the New Testament, but into very, very uh, deep levels of understanding all kind of things that when you usually read on the surface, you don't even get to encounter. And that is just fascinating. Uh, but I'm sorry, what was your other question about it? How's that impacted you? You know, um, obviously, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I, I started as a conservative Jew, meaning I lead Christian groups. I start to, to learn and understand the uh, New Testament better. Unlike my ancestors hundreds of years ago that were afraid of the New Testament, and I cannot blame them for that because if you remember uh, the times of the Inquisition, the time of the Crusades, where Jewish people were murdered just because they were Jewish people and they were so afraid of Christians that they didn't want anything to, to, to do with the New Testament. Well, thank God, these days are gone now and we're a lot more open. And that gave me more access to study the New Testament with no fear. And once I started doing that, I was just fascinated by, by Jesus. And here in my library right here, I don't think you can see it, more than half of the books that I have, and I have hundreds, are about Jesus and Christianity. And the more I learn, the more I understand, the more I meet people like pastor, I get to have more intimate relationship uh, with, with Jesus, understand him better, and definitely understand that he was not just another guy or even not just another prophet that was here. And uh, we'll see where that is going to take me to. I'm on a journey. Amen. We've been praying for you on that Amen. journey. Um, I think the last time we were over there, you had uh, 
you, you described it to me kind of like standing on the edge of a swimming pool of knowing what's in the water, but you just kind of have to dive. And I think the first interaction that, that we had, I think on a spiritual level, if you want to say that, when I was teaching in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, Isaiah 53, and I asked, who killed God? Was it the Romans or the Jews or you? And, and you said, God. God killed God. And, um, you know, you, you had made the comment that that's... That's the way you understand Isaiah 53. Do, uh, it, 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 I would assume, tell me if I'm wrong, that, that that's, that's not typical. Uh, it's not typical for some of the reasons you just mentioned, persecution or, or otherwise. I think when the last time you were asked the question here, who is Jesus, uh, you know, and why don't Jewish people embrace him? If Jesus is Jewish, if he's the Jewish Messiah, then why don't Jewish people embrace him and I think your answer was something like, well, if for 2,000 years people were killing you in the name of your Messiah, would you think he was your Messiah? You know, which was a, you know, a, a pretty profound you know, moment. Um, so I assume it's not, it's not natural for a Jewish person, for some of those reasons, to pick up uh, the prophet Isaiah and read about the suffering servant and see that this is speaking of, of Jesus or being able to see those correlations in, in the New Testament. That, that's not typical, yes or no? Yeah, you're right. It's not typical, but here's the good news. Uh, there's a lot more Jewish people that are going this direction now than ever before uh, because, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, there's no any threat and pressure on the Jewish people. And every time... People do something because they want to do that, not because they're forced to do that. They do it with their hearts, and the results are better. So when you hear about Messianic congregations all over the United States, and even now in Israel, that is something that did not exist a few decades ago. You really had to go with a microscope to find, you know, a Messianic congregation, and today it's not a problem. So you see that not only more and more Jewish people like me wanting to know more about Jesus, but they're also fully embracing, you know, Jesus as their Messiah. And so a Messianic Jew is someone who is still keeping his Jewish identity. At the same time, he says, I know Jesus is Messiah, son of God. As you've read the, the New Testament, you know, and, and learned about Jesus, what about him or what about you read is, is most impacted you? What, what's moved you the most as you've read it? I, I know you've even been to, you've even been to Greece and, and Turkey and you did footsteps of Paul. Paul, obviously a Jew. Uh, yeah. that has embraced Jesus as the Messiah. So as you've read the Gospels, and uh, you obviously, you're, you're living in Galilee. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. you're, you're talking 10 minutes uh, down to, uh, down to uh, Capernaum and, and other places. What is it about Jesus that you've found compelling that has, uh, that has moved you? So, as you know, and that's not something you're going to hear for the first time, you don't really know where to begin because, you know, you, you can talk about his miracles. You can talk about his parables that, by the way, are second to none when you compare that, you know, to all the uh, uh, parables in the Hebrew Bible. They're on such a high level that sometimes even scholars find it difficult to really fully understand uh, what Jesus is saying. But I think that the, the, the one thing that really caught me more than anything else 
is that Jesus did what everyone else refused to do. All the, the big prophets, all the kings, all the influential people always socialized with people like them, but not with the people that were rejected by the community. And here comes Jesus, who is more than the kings and the prophets, and he has no ego whatsoever. And not only he hangs out with people that are not the perfect people, he goes and, and, and hangs out with prostitutes, with tax collectors, and don't get it wrong, tax collectors in the first century were on the same level with prostitutes. That's how they were regarded. And Jesus is basically saying, these are the people who need me. I mean, the people who are good people, they need me too, but they need me less because they're already on, on, the, on the right track. But people that went off track and their life is a mess, these are the people that need me. So while for everyone else that came from a prestigious, prestigious family in Israel, it was unheard of to sit with a tax collector, Jesus would say, no, I will go and talk to him and we will sit together and we will dine together. We will have tea and coffee together and eventually this person will become a good person. So I think that putting yourself down to earth to people that are at the bottom of the food chain, so to speak, for someone who is God, I don't think there's anything that's stronger than that. So you mentioned to me one time when we were, when we were in uh, Beit Seda um, about the resurrection, that if there wasn't a resurrection, there is no Christianity. Correct. Yeah. So how do you view the, the, the resurrection? The, uh, the resurrection is also something that's amazing, you know. Uh, uh, to me, it actually starts at Caesarea Philippi, and Caesarea Philippi is 200 miles almost from Jerusalem, but to me, that's where it starts, because that is where Jesus reveals, maybe for the first time to the disciples, that not only he is who he is, but he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to die. And Peter doesn't like it, but that's when he starts to prepare them for the inevitable. Because even though there were people that started to believe that, you know, he is Messiah, even they had to be really convinced. And there's no way to convince people that you are God if you don't die first and then come from the dead after three days. And that is what he did in order to demonstrate who he was and, and to me, that is, you know, the most important thing about Jesus, about Christianity, and, and about me knowing that that happened. This is not just something that people say because they want to say that. It happened. We don't have now all the time, you know, to start analyzing and, and learning how we know that. But it's a fact. There's, there's no any doubt about it. And to me as a Jew, that of course raises questions again about what I learned in school, about what I've known all these years and what I'm being exposed to now in the recent years. It's a great, great question. Obviously, uh, I could ask you questions all night about, yeah. uh, about the Lord. Um, uh, I love him and love you. 
And uh, you, you, you told me one time that uh, whenever you did jump in the swimming pool, um, asked me if I would come to, to Israel and baptize you, and I said, I'm on the first plane the minute that that, <laughs> minute that, that happens, my friend, uh, for, for sure. Um, just for sake of time, uh, a couple more questions about uh, Jewish culture, uh, the Sabbath. Yes. Tell us about Shabbat. Uh, I, I mentioned, you don't know if you heard me to begin with, but um, I think that's something that at least Gentiles are concerned, that we kind of think it's you don't mow grass on, you know, on Sunday or go to shopping. What, or it's, and you read the New Testament, and it's, it seems very negative. You know, the Pharisees have made it very negative. So uh, teach us about Shabbat. How would a Jewish person view that as far as a blessing is concerned? And you, and you still practice Shabbat. You, you just had it yesterday, right? Unfortunately... It's not only Gentiles, but there's also lots of Jews who don't fully understand what Shabbat, Sabbath is. And like you mentioned, Pastor, many people think that Shabbat is a day of rest. So you don't do anything, you sit at home, you rest, you watch TV, and, and that's it. Well, it's everything except what I just said. Shabbat, and this is what I want you to know, is not about resting at all. It's about giving glory to God because the Bible tells us that six days God was busy creating the world and on the seventh day he did not create anything. So when people think, well, it's a day of rest, that's kind of humiliating to God because what does that mean? That God was working so hard for six days and he needed a break because he was tired. God is not tired. God does not need a break. So it has nothing to do with that. He made that day holy. So all we're going to do on this day is remember him and give him glory. So Shabbat starts on Friday evening when we sit together, the extended family around the table. We bless on the bread. We share food together. We sit for about two hours on uh, Friday evening, we read from the Torah. We always remember the miracle of God bringing us out of Egypt into the land that he has promised us. And then the next day, we go to the synagogue three times. And when we're at home, we're busy with our kids, with one another, talking, teaching about God and how he made us free people in our land. So that is Shabbat. And as for the second thing you, you mentioned, Pastor, that in the New Testament it appears in a negative way, that is because Jesus understood Shabbat a lot better than most people did because he understood and he knew that Shabbat is the most important thing. But yet, remember he said, Shabbat is made to serve man and not man to serve the Sabbath, which means that if there is an emergency case, someone is really sick, someone needs help, then it doesn't matter if it's Shabbat, you go save that person's life. You don't let someone bleed to death and say, hey, Shabbat is over in 12 hours, I'll come see if you're still alive. Doesn't work this way. And the Pharisees, who did not understand that, every time he performed the miracle on Shabbat, they're like, oh no, why did you do that today? You could have waited a day or two and do that on Sunday or Monday. No, that's a mistake. And today, it's something that's well known in Israel. And that, that is why even though shopping malls and restaurants and entertainment close on Shabbat, 
the army is working, police is working, hospitals working, all the emergency units are working because saving humans life is above Shabbat. That's good. I think you mentioned before that uh, the minute that Shabbat's over, it's like stepping toward it, right? It's, it's something that you anticipate. Yes, yes. For, for us, the observant Jews, because Shabbat is so important, the moment it's over, we start counting the days, even the hours, until Shabbat starts again. And that is why when you go to many of the synagogues in Israel, you can see that there's seven steps that lead to the stage. And why seven? Because on every step, there is a name of a day, Sunday, then Monday, Tuesday, all the way to Saturday, which is Sabbath. And spiritually, what it means that every day gets you closer to the holiness of Shabbat. And then when Shabbat arrives, that is everything. And so you all know that the one uh, command that's not repeated in the New Testament is about the, the Sabbath because Hebrews says Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus in, in us and us interacting with him, we are able to give God glory every single day, not just the one day uh, a week. And um, you mentioned the land, Boaz, and you mentioned, uh, you know, being reconstituted in the land and you remember uh, you know, being led out of Egypt into, uh, into the land. Um, tell us uh, two things. One, how, how would uh, a, a conservative Jew, or, or how do you view what happened in AD 70, Jesus' prophecy about uh, the Romans destroying it, and then the reconstitution of Israel, uh, and, uh, and just how important is the land? When you saw how important is the land you mean today? Yeah, yeah. First of all, how do you view 70 AD? What happened whenever that happened? Judgment because of the rejection of the Messiah. Romans are bad people somewhere in between. And then obviously that leads to something significant that happens in the 1940s. Yeah, well, when we go to AD 70, which is the destruction of the, uh, the temple, that is what... The Jewish people deserve to have because of the bad things that we did in the eyes of God. And every time we did that, God sent someone to punish us. Sometimes it was the Assyrians, sometimes the Babylonians, sometimes the, the Philistines. And so in AD 70, it was the Romans. But again, we understand that the Romans were simply the tool that was used by God in order to show his anger and fury for us not following and fulfilling uh, everything that he has commanded us. So what happened is that Jesus made a prophecy a few years before that, that this is exactly what's going to happen. And back then people did not believe, no, that, that cannot happen, that's impossible. The great Jewish temple in Jerusalem, no one will dare do that. But Jesus, of course, knew what he was talking about. Now, speaking of that, if you remember, and that's part of what I'm studying now, when I told you that it's Christianity in depth. If you remember, Jesus says that, or he was accused by the Jews saying, did you say that you'll destroy the temple and build it in, in three days? Well, today we understand that Jesus did not only speak about the physical temple, the actual building 
who stood in Jerusalem, but he was also talking about himself because Jesus is the temple. And basically what he said to them, you will destroy the temple, meaning you're going to kill me and I will rebuild it in three days, meaning I'm going to be in the grave for three days and I will resurrect and the temple, the new temple will be built, which is me again. So you see, that's one of the things that I told you that we're studying now. Yeah, you sound like you're swimming in the pool right now, which is a really good thing. So, yeah, the, the waves are the waves are big, but <laughs> and uh, as for uh, and as for modern Israel, yeah, tell us I, I about mean, uh, the importance of the land and Palestinian-Israeli conflict, and you know whatever you want to just to, to say there, and then I'll open it up for some questions. Yes, the, um, the 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 land was always important because in order for everything to be fulfilled. Israel also has to return back to its land. So it's not enough that there's good news in America, in the UK, in Australia, going to synagogue, worshiping God. It's good, but it's not good enough. The Jewish people need to come back to Israel. And this is what we're seeing in the last decades, because only 75 years ago, there were half a million Jewish people in Israel and today there's almost 8 million Jewish people in Israel. So you can do the math and it's growing and growing. And we have more and more Jewish immigrants from all over the world um, making Aliyah. When you say to make Aliyah, that is to ascend, literally to ascend to Israel and become a citizen of Israel, which you are entitled to if you're Jewish from all over the world. Whenever a Jew wants to come to Israel and become a citizen, you just come here, you apply, and the next day you have an Israeli citizenship, an Israeli passport. So it's really important that the Jewish people will gather here, will come back to here, and this will start preparing the ground for the arrival of the Messiah. Now, you all know that we have constant conflicts with our neighbors, and, you know, I always say... This is not something that started today or 10 years ago or 100 years ago. And this is not going to be solved over a weekend when Biden is coming here thinking that maybe he's going to solve the Middle East, you know, uh, uh, crisis. It's, it's not working this way. This is the conflict that started with Isaac and Ishmael 4,000 years ago. And it will end with the final war with Armageddon when the nations of the world will turn against Israel. And that is also something that I think that we're seeing today. The fact that we have all these conflicts with the Palestinians and Iran is developing nuclear weapons in order to destroy Israel. And you can see how things are moving and shifting around the world and leading toward that inevitable end. Amen. Um... If you could give advice to a Gentile Christian that loves everyone, but there's obviously a specific affinity for Jewish people because our Savior uh, is, was Jewish, what yeah. advice would you give to us as Gentile Christians in interacting with, uh, with, with Jewish people? What do we misunderstand uh, the most? And... Uh, how would, if we wanted to witness to a, to a Jewish person, uh, what's the best way to do that? Um, to witness to a Jewish person, you will need more than just a few minutes. Mm -hmm. 
So you either, if you have time, or let's say if you don't have time, give that person the New Testament and say, hey, this is a gift. And at your leisure, when you're bored, when you have nothing better to do, just start reading that and you may find it interesting. You will be surprised by how many Jewish people got into the Christian faith simply because of that, you know, what looks like insignificant thing, but very significant indeed. Um, if you have time, more than just a few minutes, then I would just say, talk to that person, be open, don't try to push hard anything, just introduce the New Testament, introduce who Jesus was, how good of a Jewish person and rabbi he was, and how you Christians believe that he was more than a Jew and a rabbi. And so a very good, intelligent conversation, unlike the Crusaders who would chop your head off if after two minutes you wouldn't convert to Christianity. That wasn't very encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't work too well, did it? Yeah. Yeah. So, no, thank you. That's, uh, that's helpful. All right. So we've got about, uh, about 15 or 20 minutes here, so I'm going to open it up to, uh, to some questions. We've got a microphone here. Can I go for just one minute? I'm going to drink something and come back. Uh, sure, yeah. Is this it's a glass of water? I'll be back in a minute. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll let them set up. It's, it's water, right? Not wine or something like that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, be thinking of your question. Let's go ahead and get somebody up in the, in the slot. We've got uh, two, two microphones here. All right, Ashton has one. And right over here, give, the, give it to Jim next. Come back. All right. That's great. Ashton. Okay, go ahead. Before, before we start with the Q&A, can yeah. I yeah, share an experience? You talked about water and all that. Can I share an experience from last week that I had? Sure. Okay, so folks, I was driving on the motorway from uh, Galilee to Tel Aviv and was stopped by a police officer and he asked me for my license, registrations. I gave him everything. And then he asked, he said, Mr. What's that bottle in the uh, back seat? And I said, that's water. He said, can I see it? I said, sure, go ahead. And I gave it to him. He took a sip and he said, mister, that's not water, that's wine. I said, hallelujah, he's done it again. <laughs> I knew that was coming and I should have said no. <laughs> yeah. All right. Ah, so Now we can go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ashton James has a question for you here that... Uh, I'm Ashton James. I am 91 years old, and I do a lot of reading, and I read uh, Moses, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and one of the most startling books uh, that I find is in the book of Ezra, and it, it begins by saying, in the first year of of uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, God spoke to him. 
and then the rest of that little short book of Ezra, it are a number of great things that God told him to do. Uh, get these people back to Jerusalem. It's a long way, many hundreds of miles. They're old people. Uh, they can't walk that far. Like me, I, they, I couldn't do it. And so they said, well, get carts and buggies and whatever, take them back. Um, and uh, they need uh, to have the worship established in the temple. Build the temple. Build the walls back. And, um, and then they need animals to sacrifice. Uh, get uh, lots and lots of animals uh, uh, that they can uh, have their public worship. And so my question to you is, um, why would Cyrus, king of Persia, listen to God and do all of those things? That book of Ezra is amazing of all the things that were done to get the people back, get the worship, worship back, and so on. Why would, a, would that foreign king listen to God and do that? Did you hear the question? I, I heard the question. Yeah. Uh, it was the longest question in my life. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is going to be shorter than the question. <laughs> but no, it's, it's a very good question. It's a very good question. Why would a king who is not Jewish uh, would listen to, to God, a God that may have not even been familiar to him up until that point? Well, the answer for us, Jewish people, is very simple. When God calls you, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not. At that very moment, you understand that you need to do that. Because you can go even further back to the time of Abraham. And God spoke to Abraham when Abraham was a young kid and said to him, leave the house of your father and go to the place that I show you. He didn't even know where to go. This, in this case, they knew they're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to go together. It's not going to be just one person. Abraham was just one person, a young person. He hears a voice. And between you and me, if I hear a voice or you hear a voice, you know, that tells you to do something that, that may kill you, you're going to say to that voice, I may not want to listen to you. But when it's God doing that, it's going to sound genuine, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, or in what position you are. At that very moment, you'll know, whoever spoke to me now, he is in charge of this universe, and I better listen to him. And that is why Cyrus was a very powerful king that conquered lots of places and could have easily enslaved the Jewish people. He heard God and said to the Jewish people, you go back. You build a temple, you do everything you need to do because I'm not going to disobey this voice that came and spoke to me. Amen. Mm. Thank you. All right, got one right here. Jim Alley. Boaz, we, we are friends on Facebook and we have a daughter and son-in-law named Spice who live in Natanya and we have been in your country 12 times now. Wow. We've not made Aliyah, but... Uh, we have great love for Eretz Yachrael, and uh, 
There is a writer over here named Joel Rosenberg who all did make Aliyah and now lives there. Are you acquainted with him and his writings? Do you know I'm Joel? Not, sorry, I, I didn't hear, hear the last thing. Did, do you know Joel Rosenberg, the writer? Uh, and are, are you familiar with him? Yeah, not only I am familiar with him, uh, a few years ago, he even uh, joined my tour for a couple of days because um, friends of mine from Minnesota are on his board. So they often come with him to Israel. And in one of these occasions, it was actually during a tour that I led and he was available and joined us for two days. And I was very glad that I could show Joel Rosenberg places that he never saw before. <laughs> and then what venue did you follow to learn to speak English better than most Americans? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, with all the modesty that I can say is that I am probably um, uh, a bit talented with languages. I remember that from a very young age because, like I said, I grew up in Israel, but at the age of seven, we moved to Nigeria, Africa, and after two or three months, I was fluent in Nigerian and then came back, you know, to Israel, started studying English in school and thought that that was easy. So um, I never, you know, studied anywhere else out of, outside of Israel. And so in addition to Hebrew, Nigerian and English, I also speak Arabic, a bit of Spanish and a bit of Swedish mainly bad words in Swedish because that's what my wife throws at me when she's angry. So. Maggie's obviously asleep. She didn't, she didn't hear you. Right? Yeah. I, I don't know how many people are in Israel are awake right now. <laughs> okay. Is now. it working? Yeah. Boaz, no chocolate for that. <laughs> I recognize the voice. Yeah. How you doing? Oh, good, good. Good. good to hear you. So in Israel, when we're on the tour, if Boaz, who tells jokes constantly, if it's a good joke, then Tracy throws him a chocolate down the aisle. If it's a bad joke, she says no chocolate. So, 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 so folks, the fact that since I may, met Tracy, I've gained 30 pounds. That tells you that my jokes are good. Or she feels sorry for you, one of the two. So. Well. <laughs> Other questions? Yeah, we have any more. Something specific. Yep, there's one. I'm sending my wife and daughter over to Israel in, in November. November. And can you speak of the security situation there? And there's a second park to this. When they're there, can you get a local football jersey for me? Okay, so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you my, my classic answer about uh, security. When people ask me about how safe it is coming to Israel, I say that the only part that's unsafe about coming to Israel is the layover in Chicago. So, uh, it's, it's perfectly safe. You know, safety has not been an issue for many, many years. Um, you know, honestly, you're more likely to have a bad experience 
in any big city in the United States than in Israel. I mean, in good days when there's no COVID and things like that, there's four, four and a half million tourists coming to Israel. And that is a lot, given the size of Israel and the population of Israel. And I cannot even recall, I honestly cannot, if and when something ever happened to a visitor that came to Israel. So safety is the last thing you should worry about. And regarding your jersey, the answer is yes, because in the old city in Jerusalem, there's a few shops that that's what they do. There's even a shop in Jerusalem called Alabama, if I'm not wrong. And you can find there all the jerseys that you want, Israeli, Americans. And in addition to that, you can also find all kinds of funny t-shirts. For instance, there's one t-shirt that they sell where you see on the t-shirt the Ten Commandments and then a machine gun on top of it, and it says, Guns and Moses. <laughs> or another one where you see a couple of Israeli jets, and then it says, America, don't worry, Israel is behind you. All <laughs> kind of things like that. Yeah, well, this guy is, is Irish, and so he's talking about football the way you would speak about football, you know, the, the soccer Real kind. Football. No, Real the, football. Yeah, the sissy kind, but go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, other question. Any other questions? Yeah. Hi, Boaz. I'd just like to Hi. ask you about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and in the year 2022, how is that observed um, in Israel um, according to the instructions that the Lord gave for it? Well, I, I hope, you know, for everyone to at least once in a lifetime have the experience of coming to Israel on Yom Kippur because nothing has changed between now and 2,000 years ago. That is what is so fascinating about the Jewish faith that we did not make any changes as far as worship and what the text commands us to do. So when we have Yom Kippur in Israel, the Day of Atonement, um, at around 6 o'clock in the evening, we have our meal, which is the last meal we're going to have for the coming uh, 25 hours. And I say actually 26 hours, because both Yom Kippur and Shabbat, they start one hour before sundown, and they end one hour after sundown the next day. And so you don't eat, you don't drink, you do not wash your face, and you go to the synagogue a few times, and what you do is ask forgiveness. And when we say ask forgiveness, you ask forgiveness both from God and from people. Because God said to us, what you did wrong, that's between you and me, you can ask me forgiveness. But when you wrong your neighbor, don't make it easy on yourself and come ask me forgiveness. No, you go to that person and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me for what I did. Now, the way it works in Judaism is that if that person rejects your apology, you can try again. And if he rejects your apology for the second time, you try again. If he rejects it for the third time, then he becomes the sinner. 
because he should know that by the third time he should accept your apology and not continue torturing you knowing that you did something wrong you ask forgiveness and he keeps saying no 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 so yeah it's a very hard day fasting for 20 some hours is not easy and on top of that keeping your brain sharp and focused and giving glory to god the entire time that's what we're doing on yom kippur did you hear something in there did your mind immediately go to an interaction with jesus and peter where he said not seven times peter said i'll do it seven times rather than three and jesus said 490 times yeah peter is shocked well that's the background you know for that so uh what boaz is saying is the the jewish people attempt to do that what michael is asking the obvious question is how do you keep the torah when there is no temple there is no it demanded a blood sacrifice and there isn't any and the new testament tells us there is no need to do that because jesus is the once for all atonement who has been made and so getting forgiveness from god is not through a ritual getting forgiveness from god comes from god dying in our place um, and uh, repenting and believing, you know, in him, not by the blood of bulls and goats, uh, but by the blood of Christ. And so um, I I think from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, when you see Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the good part about that is they're, they're they're still remembering, they're still aware that there's God, they're still aware that there's sin between them and God, and they're, they're still, they still are aware that they need forgiveness. And that's where the New Testament comes in, where you're able to show them that you're able to cleanse your conscience from dead works and, uh, and be, be clean eternally because of the, because of the work of, of, of Christ. Um, one final question, and then we're going to close it out because it is... Uh, what? What time is it now? One o'clock? Yeah, ten minutes past one. Yeah. All right. You, you still look pretty <laughs> fresh. I'm still here. Yeah, all right. Okay. Okay, John. Nope. Got a microphone here. Yep. There you go. Okay. Hi, Boaz. I'm John Alley. Uh, something you said earlier sparked a question in my mind. We read through the Old Testament how uh, God consistently judged the nation of Israel when they strayed from him, worshiping idols. And we see that in uh, the time of the judges and the time, um, after, especially after Solomon, they would, they would follow other gods and he would judge them, you know, with the Assyrians, the Babylonians. What then would a Jewish, say, a Jewish person say? Because in the New Testament times, they didn't seem to stray toward idols. The Pharisees were very much, we worship the one God. So a person that doesn't believe in the Messiah, why would they say that God judged them through the Romans in 70 AD? What was it that a Jewish person would think caused that judgment by God? You're talking specifically about 70 AD? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so again, this was a time that as you mentioned, you know, uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, they, they worshiped God. They didn't do anything that's against God in the sense of, you know, not keeping the Torah and things like that. But they wronged each other. That was the problem. Even today, so many years later, 
if you talk to Orthodox Jews and you say, what is it that caused the destruction of the temple? They'll say self-hatred amongst the Jewish people. And as a matter of fact, if you read the book of uh, Josephus, the account of Josephus, he specifies what happened in the city of Jerusalem. So while Jerusalem was besieged by the Romans, which was very hard to begin with, because it wasn't a fair fight, the Jewish people against the Roman Empire. But even then, the Jewish people were not unified against the Romans, and they started fighting against each other. So there was actually a civil war amongst the Jews because they could not even agree of how to fight against the Romans, and we're not even sure if there were more people that were killed by the sword of the Romans or by their Jewish brothers and sisters. That's how bad it was. The, the, the relationship between the Jews themselves, between the different fractions of Judaism back then, is what made God so angry. And he basically said, if you hate yourself so much, this is got to end, and it's got to be very dramatic. And that is why it ended with the destruction of the temple. Yeah. Well, Boaz, thank you for uh, giving us some, some time tonight. And um, some of us will see you in, in November. We're, uh, Lord willing, we're looking forward to that. And, uh, awesome. Uh, in, uh, tell Maggie we said hello and, and, uh, and all the kids. Shall I, shall, I, shall I wake her up and tell her that? Uh, not unless you want to hear some of those Swedish bad words, probably. I know, I know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know what they were, but you might, you know. Yeah. So... Uh, but we are. We're. Uh, uh, I love you personally as a friend, and Thank you. we're Likewise. praying for you as a as a church. And I think it'd just be fitting if we would just close out the service tonight. Uh, we'll just pray together, and we'll pray. Uh, we'll pray for Boaz, and uh, not only his business, but but uh, him personally. Can we do that? Yeah. Father, we we love you. We thank you for the privilege to be here this evening, and. Um, uh, thank you for this amazing technology that you've given us. It hasn't skipped once. Thank you for Boaz's willingness to, um, to, to share and to, to teach. Um, Lord, I guess we would first start by just praying for him and for Maggie, uh, for their business, praying for them personally. Um, you promised to, you know, to take care uh, of, of your own. There's common grace, and so I pray that that would, uh, would come to him. You'd grant him favor. Um, more importantly, Lord, than physical things, we would just bow tonight as a congregation and lift him up to you as he reads your word, as he reads about the miracles of Jesus, the Messiah, um, and uh, he, he stands on the edge of the pool and he looks in the water. I pray, even as he mentioned about the voice uh, from Cyrus, that when God speaks, when God calls, uh, men obey, I pray. Um, that you would call him to, to faith and repentance and um, that he would bow the knee, that he would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that all of his sins would be washed away and that he would be in eternal heaven with, with us. Um, and uh, I just, I, I love him and I thank you for him and pray that you'll give him sweet sleep even, uh, even tonight and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.
All right, Thank my friend. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so Bye. much. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right, guys. Was that good? Amen. Yeah, it was good. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, now you know why I pray for him, and you can, uh, you can do that uh, as well. And tonight's not a plug for, for the Israel trip. We go as often as we, as we can. Um, Boaz actually makes it very affordable. He doesn't uh, charge us. He charges others. We don't mark it up. Um, but I want you to be able to go and see, read the Bible in, in the land, um, smell the smells, see the people, you obviously can tell you'll get uh, you'll get you'll get good good teaching you know while there. Um, this November trip is still open if you if you want to go. Um, if you don't, that's totally fine too. Just pray for us and pray for Boaz. All right, Lord bless you. You are dismissed.